Welcome to the Leadership Playbook. My name is Emily Hawkins. How I used to introduce myself is, I have 15 years in supply chain, creating and leading teams, streamlining processes, managing millions of dollars. Except that's not what I do anymore. I'm a career and life coach. And I wanna take you on the journey of how to lead yourself, how to take your career to the next level, whatever that may be. I'm gonna give you tangible advice on exactly how to do what you want to do. Lead and love your life. Welcome to Leadership. Today, we are talking to my friend, Haley, who I have known since college. We met, we were in the same sorority, and we have several things in common. We both have been married twice. We both have two children, a boy and a girl, and that's about it. How we got to <laughs> places is vastly different, and what <laughs> she has accomplished in my mind and what she has overcome is why I'm talking to her today, because she is just a normal mom, a normal person dealing with a lot of different things that have come at her. And the reason I wanted to interview her in particular is because I think we all have stories. We all want to play victim and we always want to say, nobody has it as bad as I do. And I'm here to tell you that Haley has experienced a lot of different things and I have never heard her say anything negative. I'm sure privately she's cried and had many down moments, but that's not who she chooses to be on a daily basis. So Haley, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? We were, we got married in the same year and mm -hmm. our marriages actually ended in the same year, which I don't even know if you're aware of that, but our marriages. No, I'm not. I was not aware of that. No, Yeah, but they ended very differently. So yeah. I <laughs> got divorced and that is not your story. So tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you very much for that introduction. Um, and it's so good to talk to you. Um, so I got married right around the same time that you did to my college sweetheart, Chad, and it was awesome. Um, I was kind of, uh, looking forward to starting a family with him in the coming years. And, um, we had been married for about two years when he got very sick and I was out of town for a business conference. And, um, I knew that he was really feeling bad and he had the flu and I came home early and I listened, this was back in the day when you had answering machines at your house. So I um, listened to the answering machine and it said, you need to go to the ER right away. So I called Chad at, at his work and I said, you know, I don't know what's going on, but we need to go to the ER. So to make a long story short, Chad was diagnosed with AML. Um, which is a form of leukemia. He had some abnormal cell mutations and he was very sick right away. Um, if he hadn't started chemotherapy um, right away, he probably had three weeks to live. So um, I took care of him for a little over two years. I quit my job um, then and there to become his full-time caretaker. He had two fully obliterative stem cell transplants. Um, his mother was actually his stem cell donor. Um, the first one worked, um, and he was in remission for about six months. Um, and then it came back and it came back in full force. We moved to Houston, um, and, uh, we sought treatment there at MD Anderson and, um, we were in Houston for about four months and then we life flighted him home so he could die at home. Ugh. And you were how old at the time? I was a 26-year-old widow. We had been married for four years and 10 days when Chad passed. So I don't even know how to grapple with that. Uh, as a 38-year-old, that's intense. But as someone so young, right. I mean, how did you get through that? Well, I knew this question was coming. Not well. I did not get through it well. Um, I don't know what the perception is of how I got through that, but it was, I was a mess for many years. I would say for three years, I call them my spinning years. I was just kind of out of control. I was in some dysfunctional relationships, both with friends and significant others. I was doing a lot of, um, 
just destructive behaviors. I was terrible with money. I wasn't working. I um, took very little responsibility for my life. I was self-medicating um, and really pretty out of control for a few years. Um, I, w- I think a lot of it had to do with how young I was when I was widowed and my entire identity was wrapped up in Chad and um, being a wife and then being a caretaker for two years. And I just wasn't a grown up yet. It almost kind of stunted my development, I think. Um, and, uh, it took me a few years to really, um, to really deal with it, to really deal with the grief and deal what deal with, um, just how it had affected me. So, I'm in a much better place now, obviously. Um, and then I met my now husband, Piyush, and we've been very happily married for six and a half years or so. Oh, my goodness. And I see so much joy on your face with him. I mean, when you started dating yes. and posting pictures, I saw the Haley that I knew, you know, from when. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it was yeah, so I'm funny. incredibly happy. That is so wonderful. How did you guys meet? We met online. Oh, that's so special. Yes. So we're like an internet relationship. I I guess an eHarmony relationship, but it works. Man, it works. It's so wonderful. And you guys are Mm -hmm. such great parents. And that's the next phase of this that I wanted to go into because Mm -hmm. uh, you do not have children, um, together in terms of DNA, uh, you have them through adoption. And so Mm -hmm. I talk about where, where that journey started, uh, why you chose adoption and how that, how that journey went. Cause I know that was in and of itself a really intense time. Um, both of your children are adopted two separate countries, two separate processes. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Um, well, it kind of our adoption journey really started with, we always knew we were going to adopt. And so we'd actually found an adoption agency that we really connected with and we really liked. And then I started having seizures and this was as soon as we got married. Um, and I didn't know what the seizures were. I had gone to ER a couple of times and then I had a grandma seizure and almost died and, um, went to a doctor the next day. How I, why I stayed home that night is on me. I can't even really remember why I talked fusion to it's no big deal. I'll just go tomorrow. But anyway, um, and then I was immediately admitted and they said, you have cardiomyopathy. Um, they put in a pacemaker and defibrillator. I was 100% blocked, which means I'm a hundred percent paced, which means that my heart does not beat without a battery. (gasps) So, um, that happened, uh, now, the prognosis for me at that point was good. You know, lots of people live full, wonderful lives with pacers and defibrillators. So um, that wasn't going to stop us from um, adopting, but um, getting pregnant is very dangerous for me. So I knew that um, it's not recommended that people with uh, cardiomyopathy um, get pregnant because they're considered parasitic pregnancies and they just drain your um, heart function and it never returns. So I probably, if I survived um, a year post delivery, they said that that would be a miracle. So we decided that we weren't going to have biological children. And we started our process of adopting AJ from Kyrgyzstan. Um, Kyrgyzstan kind of fell in our laps. We were originally in the Nicaragua program and, um, we heard of this little girl in Kyrgyzstan who was four years old and we got a video of her, didn't ask for it, but we got a video of her, of her and we fell in love immediately um, and began our process. We, you know, we talked about it for a few weeks before we decided, yes, we were going to adopt an older child. We were going to adopt a child with a cleft lip and palate. We knew that AJ was nonverbal um, and we knew that we were adopting a special needs kiddo. So, um, but we were so excited and we were ready to be parents. You know, we were older, we had a ton of love to give and nowhere to put it. And, um, we were beyond ready to be parents, you know? Um, and so then AJ came home and then we, uh, 
a year after AJ came home, we started our process to adopt Abby from India. And then we brought Abby home about 16 months later. Now, I remember when you brought both of your girls, I remember vividly, Mm -hmm. especially your second daughter, because you actually got the chance to go and meet her and hold her and be Mm -hmm. a part of her life. And then you had to leave her. I did the same thing with AJ though. I I mean, I went three times with AJ and I had to leave AJ twice. But AJ's adoption experience was, was far harder because AJ was in a very abusive, horrible third world, you know, former Soviet orphanage institutionalized um they children had their own language adults never spoke to them aj was five nonverbal, um very abusive and in every sense of the word so leaving aj was gut-wrenching and i did that twice leaving abby was gut-wrenching she was underweight she was malnourished but she was so loved in her orphanage um by all the aunties and all the nannies that were there and it was a much smaller orphanage Okay. So it was, it was just an altogether different experience. You don't do anything easy, do you? No, (laughs) I never do. Oh my gosh. That, that is so (laughs) heartbreaking. I can't even imagine, but it is is hard able to bring them home and seeing them bond to, I mean, the videos you share and, and they truly are siblings. Um, Yeah. Oh yes. hundred percent. I love it. I mean, they are so, so the sweetest together. And I just absolutely, you know, AJ's six years older than Abby and is incredibly protective of her. They fight though. They fight like siblings. I mean, it it gets ugly sometimes, but, um, of course, (laughs) um, AJ just parents Abby all the time. So we have to be like, AJ, you're not the parent that happens a lot. My my oldest does that too, and I think it's like an older kid thing where they just like, yeah. know better. It doesn't matter if they're twenty minutes older; they <laughs> they just feel like yeah. the adult. So it's so funny. Yes, yes. Um, let's talk a little bit more about AJ because you adopted uh, your first child, AJ. You adopted a little girl, but mm-hmm. yeah. I know that ident- he he identifies as a boy, and so tell yes. me how that came about. Sure. Um, like I've said, AJ was nonverbal when he came home, um, but quickly picked up on language and we could understand what AJ was trying to say. He had gotten very, very good at nonverbal communication um, and told us, mostly me, but us, Pusha and I, um, from the beginning that he wanted a penis. He wanted to be a boy. He was a boy. Um, and then AJ is a little developmentally delayed as all kids from institutional backgrounds are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he said um, his narrative was when he was that we came to Kyrgyzstan, pretended that he was a girl, brought him home until he could finally convince us that he was really a boy. That was AJ's narrative very early on. That's honestly what our child thought. So it was very, very hard. We sought out therapists. Well, let me go back. At first, um, we didn't think much of it, okay? He was in love, obsessed with John Cena. Every time he'd see John Cena on a commercial or on the TV, just loved it. And um, my parents and our family and friends thought it was so cute. AJ's got this crush on John Cena. And Pusha and I would look at each other from the sides of our eyes and we'd be like, no, AJ wants to be John Cena. Wow. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a crush. And um, But we were like, oh, he's just so little. He's just so little. Let's just see how this plays out. I would try to put him in cute little frilly dresses. I remember the first day of first grade, I mean, the first day of kindergarten. And I, um, he had been fighting me since he got home and he was in preschool, but about clothes, but, um, he, I put a bow in his hair. He looked adorable and, um, he, he stood there and he cried in the middle of the kitchen and Pius and I looked at each other and we said, he said, this isn't our kid. And I said, Nope, it's not. 
it's not. We put him in khaki shorts and a little tank top, and off he went to school so much happier. Um, we sought out a therapist who specializes in gender identity um, in Nashville. We began to see her, um, and she said, I, you know, I, I think it's time for a big haircut. I think it's time. So um, the summer before first grade, I took AJ and we got a haircut and I've never seen that. I've never seen a happier kid in my life. Um, and he said, now can I be a boy? And, um, that's when we said, yeah, yeah, you can be, you can be who you are. We love you. We celebrate him now. And, um, anyone who knows AJ knows he's a boy. Um, there's, there's nothing remotely girly about him. And I want to make very clear the distinction about gender identity and sexual and um, sexual orientation. They're two different things. And um, so when I say that AJ identifies as a boy, I'm not AJ. I'm not saying AJ is a lesbian. I'm not saying a nine-year-old or even a five-year-old could know that um, AJ has no interest in those kinds of things. He's too young, but um, I just want to make sure that people understand that gender identity and sexual orientation are two very, very separate things. And they're both run on a spectrum. So AJ identifies fully as a boy, but there are many celebrities and many other people who identify anywhere along the spectrum. Um, you know, and it's the same with sexual orientation. So it just, it's important for people to understand that concept that it really is a spectrum. It's not one or the other. It's not a binary issue. Um, so AJ's living as a boy. AJ uses the boys' bathroom at school. He's living as a boy. Um, it's not a secret. Um, we will not have that kind of secret in our household. Secrets breed shame, and I will not have that kind of shame in my house. Um, and we're incredibly proud of him, but he, he, is, he knows who he is. He has known who he is for longer than anyone else. And um, we're just very, very, very proud of him. The thing that I love the most is his narrative at the very beginning of mm -hmm. bringing him home. And what mm -hmm. I will say is I think children read people better than anyone else. I, I, right. I There's all sorts of, you know, stages of life and all of that. But I think children mm -hmm. read people so well. And I'm sure in those first few meetings with him, even when you couldn't take him home, he knew I can be fully me with these people. Oh, well, that's, thank you. I, I hope so. I mean, I hope that that's true, um, for him. I always say that children are the best bullshit detectors in the world. Yeah. Um, they, they are, they will, they know what's up and they'll call you out on it. But, um, yeah, it was the first time AJ had been held, hugged, kissed, um, an adult brushed his teeth, you know, with us. I, I mean, uh, really, it, the the bonding with AJ was remarkable, and it was remarkably quick. Abby was Abby was different, took significantly longer with her, but with AJ, the trust was pretty fast, in a healthy way, not in an unhealthy way. But um, it was, and is an amazing relationship. He's my baby. No, and there's nothing like yeah. that first, the first one, the one that makes you the mother. I feel like there's yes. a different bond there than the others that follow, uh, just because right. the ones that help you figure out so many things. Not that any of us knows really what we're doing, but <laughs> right, no, we don't. Nobody does. Yeah. We're muddling through, right? Yes, right. Uh, and I always say that uh, when I first put my my daughter, my oldest in daycare after, uh, like 12 weeks of being at home on maternity leave. I remember texting a friend of mine who's a mother of four and saying, man, I walked in that facility and all these moms just look so amazing. And, you know, these moms are so much better than me. I said something along those lines. And she said, mm -hmm. no, you are the best mom for Stella. And yeah it was like all I needed to hear. And for the rest of my life, no matter what one mom does or another mom does, I know that I'm the best mother for my particular kids. I know what they need yeah. most. And clearly you do as well because you mm -hmm. to your children and let them be mm -hmm. who they are and hear them. I mean, most children, that's right. all they want is to be heard, you know? 
Right. Well, it was, it's funny that you say that because I had a family friend once who said something to us like about, you know, allowing AJ to explore his gender identity mm-hmm. um, in a safe place. They said, well, I guess that's just a parenting decision. And I thought about that when I left and I thought, okay, I guess so. I guess it is a parenting choice. I'm choosing to honor my child. I'm choosing to respect my child. I'm choosing to believe my child and I'm choosing to celebrate my child. Um, so yeah, in that way, it is a parenting decision. It is a parenting choice that I've made, but it's, it's, it's not at the same time. It's, uh, it's nothing that we, we chose to do. This happened. I, uh, just yesterday recorded a podcast on something that I've thought about a lot, which is we hear the term sink or swim all the time, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, sink or swim, sink or swim. And everybody forgets floating. And I feel like right. there's, yes. there's no better place to float than in a parent world. And what I mean by that is you can teach your kids strokes, right? You can teach them how to swim and how to navigate things. But I think honestly, the best thing you can do is hold their hand and float with them. And I've had to learn that yeah. with and on a sm- much smaller scale with Stella being dyslexic because I pushed so mm-hmm. hard in the beginning and didn't know what the right thing was. And I realized, you know what she needs? She just needs acceptance and space and somebody that's there with her, fighting with her. And that's right. when, when we're doing anything word related, I am floating. I'm holding her hand and I'm floating. And I feel like that is exactly what you did. That was your, that to me is your parenting choice that you decided to float with him. And Mm -hmm. that's it, you know, and, and whether parents choose to float, I think a lot of parents swim hard, you know, (laughs) they just really try to push their kids to be a certain way, act a certain way. And that's just, Ooh, that is a, that's intense. I I don't think that's, (laughs) Early. That's not my parenting choice. Um, right. So I completely understand that. Well, let's flash forward to where you are, or I guess I should say about a year ago, um, mm-hmm. where you, what was going on there? Sure. Sure. So we were planning to move to West Virginia. I was staying in Paducah, Kentucky with the kids while they finished up the school year. Um, then the last day of school, our house was on the market, so I had to keep it spotlessly clean, and I was a single parent for like three months. And then the last day of school, I picked up AJ. We got in the car, and we drove nine hours to um, West Virginia, Parkersburg, West Virginia. We were staying in this, you know, dinky little corporate housing apartment um, that we were staying in until we could sell our house and buy a new house here. Um, and two days after... Um, I moved here with the kids. I, my pacer fired. It fired twice in the sleep, my sleep. And then it fired again. And um, that next morning I was making coffee in the kitchen or so I'm told. I have no memory of moving to West Virginia at all. Um, but uh, it fired in the kitchen. I was home with the children alone. Um, I, I'm told that I called Piyush, told him to come home. Um, he let, he was at the dentist, I believe, and he left the dentist's chair early, came home, found me on the floor. The children, blessedly, did not see me on the floor because they were watching TV in the other room and um, put all three of us in the car and drove to the ER here. Um, we, didn't ha- we didn't have any friends or family here. Um, it was just us. So it made it, it made a really terrible situation even harder because we didn't have anything to do with the children and they were scared. Mm. So I had an emergency at an ICD place. They had to turn off my pacemaker because my pacemaker malfunctioned. A lead came loose um, in my heart, a lead that's attached to my heart. So mm. it fired and fired and fired. And I went through what's called a ventricular tachycardic storm, which means my pacer fired over and over and over and over and wouldn't quit. I went into cardiac arrest. I coded four times. I coded once in an ambulance um, on the way to OSU Ross Hart Hospital. That's Ohio State University, Ross Hart Hospital. And uh, because in Paducah, I mean, in Parkersburg, West Virginia, they couldn't help me. There was nothing they could do. They did not have the resources. They didn't have the equipment and they didn't have a surgeon that could help me. Um, So I went into full-blown heart failure. Um coded four times. I have 
had some near-death experiences. I have experienced a lot of things that I'm really continuing to work through with a therapist, even still. Um, I was in the hospital for two months in the ICU. Um, I was on life support for a few days, and then I began to improve. They were working me up for a heart transplant quickly because, um, but no one thought that I would make it off of life support. My family came in to say goodbye. Um, and I was, um, I had, a, I had a trach, so I was, you know, on a ventilator completely. I don't have any memory of any of this. Um, but my whole family, including my husband's family flew in and, um, and, and prepared to say goodbye. Um, and then take care of our children. So, and then after two months in the um, hospital, I went to rehab because I couldn't, I went to inpatient rehab because I couldn't walk. Um, I couldn't do anything. I was, you know, you lose so much muscle mass. You lose so much of your ability. I couldn't, I couldn't even stand up um, for very long at all. So, um, while in the ICU for the two months, I developed a pressure ulcer on my left heel and on my left outside calf, um, just from remaining still and not being moved as I should have. Um, so pressure ulcer is just a bed sore and that, and it happens on pressure points. So it happened on my heel and then it happened where my leg was up against the rail of the hospital bed on my calf. The pressure ulcer was disgusting. It was humongous. It is basically a bruise, but it is a deep bone bruise. And what happens is that your skin around it will turn black, fall off. My bone was exposed. Um, my muscle was exposed. I had, I was in so much pain. Stop me when, <laughs> if I'm going too far. No, this is pain. Great. I mean, it's real. And and by the way, yeah, Haley has these pictures online, and I am the morbid person that was like, I want to see this. So I actually, well, funny story about that. I had like, I had three glasses of wine, and I thought it was a good idea to post those pictures. And then <laughs> I did, and then I was like. I can't unpost those pictures, but I really wish I had never even posted those. I don't know what possessed me to think that was a good idea. But well, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, for me, for me I just realized like this is some serious stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was serious. It's, and it was serious. And I have not walked. I didn't walk for well over a year, like 14 months. Um, I was in a wheelchair or a walker or a boot or a cast or an AFO. Um, and it was so painful. Um, the pain that I was in is indescribable. Um, shooting pain, throbbing pain, um, couldn't sleep. I threw up a couple of times from pain, um, which is saying something because I don't ever throw up. And, um, I begged them to cut off my leg when I was in rehab, begged them. I was like, just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. And they were like, no, we've seen these things heal. Um, and, uh, cut to a year and a half later, almost a year and a half later. And I, um, nope, it was a year, a year later. And I, um, had my leg amputated, um, below my knee and it was the best choice I have ever made. Oh, wow. It was time for my leg to go. And after that, what was the hardest I mean, making the decision was hard, I'm sure. But then the ramifications of it, because I don't care what surgery you have. I don't care what you do. You know, they always say, here's what it's going to look like. But until you're in it, you don't really know, right? So how is rehab? How is, you know, are you walking yet? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm doing things that I haven't been able to do in so long. I'm walking up and down stairs without pain. I'm able to go and pick up my kids from school and walk up the stairs to their classes and I'm able to pick them up in my arms and things that I just haven't been able to do in so long. I knew that my leg needed to be amputated much sooner than anyone else, much sooner than my doctors, much sooner than my husband, much sooner than the rest of my family. Um, I knew in my heart 
and in my soul that this needed to happen. And uh, my only regret is that I didn't do it sooner. Um, I will say this, losing a limb, well, losing below my knee, a leg is not the worst thing in the world. Mm. It's, it's not, it is, it's not. I think, um, I'm also a little jaded because I've had so many humongous things happen in my life that I'm a little bit numb to the severity of it. Like I know a lot of people who are new amputees have tremendous amounts of PTSD, tremendous amounts of depression. Um, I am thrilled. I'm thrilled to be rid of my leg that tried to kill me for a year. Um, and yes, it's, it's hard to walk. I'm still walking with a limp. Um, stairs are a little bit difficult and I'm still trying to figure out the fit and how to make, how to put it on, um, correctly. And, and it, you know, it's life changing in that, like, you know, if my four-year-old wakes up and has to go potty in the middle of the night, I can't really get up and do it because it takes me a good five minutes to put on a leg, um, and a good five minutes to take it off. So it's definitely life changing, but I'm kind of used to life changing things. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I was about to say, I mean, the thing I can, I can completely understand from what you're saying, how this really isn't a big deal because in the grand scheme of things, it's not losing a husband. It's not yeah. the adoption process that was months of agony and all of this it is, I am in pain and I know how this can stop. And the one thing I can count on is me. Put me in the PT world, put me in rehab. Mm. I will walk again. One of my favorite things I will. posted, it was, I think it was the day before you went in for surgery or at least the week of where you said, I am taking my children trick-or-treating and mm-hmm. that's coming up. So are you taking them trick-or-treating? Listen, girl, I just, right before I called in for this podcast, went to the Halloween store and picked up my Wonder Woman costume and I'm doing it. We're going to be in Knoxville because it's my high school reunion that weekend. Oh, and, um, yeah, and, and we are going and I am walking the neighborhood. I'm so excited. Abby is Supergirl and she requested that I am Wonder Woman. Um, so that's, that's what we're going to do. I am pumped about it. Um, I knew. So excited. I knew you were going to do it. I knew you would. And I, yeah, awesome picture you posted of yourself standing up, you know, with your leg. I was just like, damn, I want to be you. Mm-hmm. So of course. You're oh, no. <laughs> of course you're one. It feels one. really good. Well, it's, um, it's, it's just, it feels good to be alive. Life is different for me right now than it's, than it's ever been. I don't take one second for granted. Um, and I, I'm, I'm happy when the kids are fighting and I'm trying to make dinner and the house is a mess and I'm really busy and I'm on the phone. I'm happy to be in this place because that's living, that's life. Um, and for so long, I wasn't living. And then um, for so long, I didn't know if I would live. Um, I am going to need a heart transplant. That's happening. I go tomorrow morning to start my workup. Um, and I'll be at OSU for two full days, testing, testing, testing. Um, and I'll be listed by Thanksgiving. So, um, I'll be getting, I'll be getting, uh, a donated heart. So, um, life is going to be good again. So in all of these things, you know, all of this hardship, Mm-hmm. There's something you've leaned on, you know, because I don't know many people that survive all of these things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want to mention suicide. And the reason I want to mention suicide is because it's so prevalent and with so mm-hmm. many people that, in my opinion, have so much less than, you know, stress. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they have a breakup in a relationship and they decide to end their life. Maybe they, f- they don't have any friends or they're bullied at school. And that's not, you've never once mentioned that in this, in this call, maybe you have thought about it, but what I love that you said is 
it's not about the hardships. It's about what you have to live for. There's so many things yeah. you have to live for and so many, yeah. so many things yet to happen, you know, um, right. Yeah. Seeing all of seeing your, your son and daughter grow up and, you know, so many things, mm-hmm. you know, heart transplants don't last forever. I am not going to get to be an old lady. I know this, but it's going to give me more time and it's going to give me time to, to see my children grow up um, and become settled. Um, I often think about what it is that I need to get to. And my goal, my goal in life is to make sure that my children are grown and settled. Um, You know, I have, in the back of my mind, this sort of mantra that I tell myself, which is, um, I need to see my kids, especially AJ, um, grow up to be a successful, independent adult. And what does that mean? You know, people say all the time, I just want my kid to be happy. I just want my kid to be happy. But being happy is a state. It's, it's, it's not, um, no one is happy forever, right? So what is it that you really want for your children? And I really have given that a tremendous amount of thought in the past few years. What is it that I really want for my kids? What I really want for my kids is to grow up, become productive members of society, be able to make and maintain healthy relationships, um, and be able to yeah, be happy every once in a while. That's, that is my goal to get my kids there. And, um, you know, that's, if I can do that in this life, um, I I will die happy. Here's another thing that you're doing that you're probably, you're aware of this. I know you are, but we haven't talked about it. You are teaching your children how to cope. I feel like that is mm-hmm. what we as human beings are supposed to do with our children is guide them in the joy, but also guide them in the hard. And they're yeah. watching us, right? They're watching how we handle certain things. And mm-hmm. whether you are here with them physically or not, they will always be able to say, my mom did harder things than this, you know? Mm-hmm. And my mom showed me that. So I... Yeah, I I try especially to kind of um, show that with AJ, my oldest. Um, He's got a pretty severe speech delay. He's trans um, and uh, he's got a language delay as well. So things are tough for him. Um, He struggles in school. He struggles to communicate. He is very self-conscious about his nose and the way his face looks. He has a beautiful face. He looks amazing. But um, he is very self-aware and self-conscious about these things. And I often think I'm not going to get a prosthetic that looks like a real leg because I want AJ to see me be proud of my difference. I want him to see that mom's not ashamed. Mom's not worried about the looks. Mom's proud of what she's been through and maybe I can be too. Um, so, you know, I'm always very aware of that. Um, especially with him. Well, I just think you're an amazing human being and thank you. you, I know we all have dark moments, right? I don't know anybody on earth who is like you said, happy is a state and I Mm -hmm. think happy is something you need to, take and kind of, at least for me, I always say to myself, these moments of joy, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to kind of hoard in my head so that yeah. pain, I've got a moment to say, remember that amazing moment. I'm so glad I had that moment. Yes. Yes. And well, so- you know, I, I, I just want to say also, I'm not amazing. I'm not amazing at all. I'm just a normal person. Um, I, you know, I struggle. Um, I fall down. Literally and figuratively, I, um, it, this is just stuff. This is just life, but I'm just so happy to be here and be experiencing it, even the bad parts. Um, you know, and I also lean on the fact that I know that this isn't forever. I know that when you die, you don't really die. I know that there's a life after death. Um, call it faith, call it experience because I've been there, but 
I, I know that our loved ones never really leave us. Um, you know, I know that, that Chad never really left me. And I know that I'll never really leave my children, my family. Um, so when you know that for a fact in your soul, um, it makes everything a little bit easier and it makes everything that you're going through a little bit lighter. Oh, that is so beautiful. Well, I know you mentioned therapy. I'm a huge fan of therapy. I've been to therapy. Mm-hmm. Everyone on earth should go to therapy, whether they've yeah. had trauma or not. By the way, everybody's had some form of trauma. Uh, sure. But I feel like having that objective person to help you process things is really key. Mm-hmm. Uh, what mm-hmm. else has helped you get through some of these hard things? Mm. I do a lot of reading. Um, I do a lot of reading, uh, about spirituality that's helped. Um, I wouldn't even identify as a Christian at this point in my life. I am sort of agnostic in that way, but I, I do believe in life after death and I believe in exploring and, and reading and really trying to understand this universe and why we're here and what it all means. Um, what else has gotten me through? My husband, he's pretty amazing. Um, he has been, it sounds very cliche, but he's been such a rock. Um, through all of this, he is by my side. He manages all my medications, which is a humongous feat. And I know he will post-transplant also. And um, really kind of allows me to um, do what I need to do to take care of myself. He really encourages my self-care. And I, and I do a lot of self-care, you know, whether it's physical therapy, just showing up for that is a form of self-care for me. Um, I started taking horseback riding lessons again. That is just pouring into myself mm. um, and doing things that are just for me. And my husband really allows me the opportunity to do that. And I'm very, very lucky that I can stay at home um, and do these things. Not everyone has that, that luxury. And um, I... I, I do. And I, and I don't take that for granted. So I'm able to really just focus on myself and my home and my children. So I just pour myself into that. And that's, that's been beneficial for me. Oh, I love that. You know, just having a level of gratitude. It's like you realize Mm -hmm. how important every day is and marrying someone who is your partner and Mm -hmm. truly helps you and makes you better um, mm-hmm. and sees you for who you are, which is also an amazing person. I just, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I've just been so lucky to have married not one, but two amazing men. And, you know, my husband says all the time, he's like, honey, uh, you know, you have a very unlucky life. It's like, you've been unlucky in so many ways, but you have always been lucky in love. And I have been, I think that my, one of my biggest strengths is just picking partners. Because I picked two really, really great ones. Um, So, you know, that's kind of been a saving grace for me. That is so wonderful. I love that. And honestly, um, how you pick a partner is how you love yourself. You can't pick someone um, that isn't whole unless you are. So even knowing Mm -hmm. you went through a really hard time and, and you were young when you first got married, uh, and then the second time around, you you had a little bit of a, not a little bit, a very much of a broken heart, you know. Um, I did. You're still, you, you've always loved yourself. You may not have realized it, but that's the only way you find good people and good matches. Yes. Um, you know, and I also, it's, I did have a broken heart. And when I first was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy and when all of this happened, I know that a broken heart has something to do with it. Yes, I have viral cardiomyopathy, which just means that I got a virus in a really, really unfortunate way that attacked my heart. It's rare, but it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know in my soul, again, I have a, it's a gut thing that um, having a broken heart really impacts your life. You know, it's a mind body connection. Um, so um, yeah, but I also have really relied on myself a lot through all of this because I know I'm strong. Mm-hmm. I'm very strong. Um, both physically and mentally, because I think I've had to be, um, 
and when people say, oh, you're so strong, well, I wasn't given a choice, right? Mm. So I showed up in my own life because I had to. I love that. Yeah. Well, if you could tell someone in your shoes, and I literally mean any aspect of your life, widowed, um, you know, raising a trans child, adoption, uh, losing a limb, you know, what would you say to that person? Well, I guess it would be different depending on what it was that they were going through. I would say losing a limb is not the worst thing in the world. I would say that to them. Um, you can survive, you can thrive and live an amazing life with limb loss. Um, I would say to a person who has a trans kid, uh, you know, at first it was terrifying because you have all of these goals and hopes and dreams for your children. Um, for me, I just wanted AJ to grow up, find a very, um, be, be happy quote unquote, and get married, find a life partner that was just a wonderful person. They could support one another. Those were my dreams. Um, I wanted AJ to be able to be a parent if he wanted to. And at first it's very scary when you have a trans kid and you think, well, all my hopes and dreams for my child are flushed down the toilet. But I would say, just give it time. My hopes and dreams for AJ haven't changed that much since, um, since he has been living as a trans kid. I still have hopes and dreams that AJ will have a family and a partner and successful life. Um, and then I would say to someone who was widowed, particularly young widows, um, it gets better and uh, it gets better. It gets better. Uh, it takes a long time, but it gets better. Um, and yeah, being a young widow is different from being an older widow. It's different. Um, it is a different experience. It's not harder. It's not easier, but it is a different experience altogether. Um, I could go on and on and on about that and my feelings on that. One day I might even write about it, but, um, it's very disruptive to the normal progression of life. So I would say, just hold on. It gets better. Everybody used to tell me when Chad died, Oh, but you're so young. Like you're, they would say it in a, in an encouraging way. Like you're young, you can find love again. You're young. You can rebuild your life. Mm -hmm. Right. And what they didn't know was that was really demeaning. Mm -hmm. Um, I, yes, I'm young, but I'm also old. I'm very, very old. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been through things that most people haven't been through. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a demoralizing kind of process that you go through as a young widow. Um, you don't get invited to things anymore or people invite you out of pity. Uh, it's, 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 it's hard. You can edit all of this out. I'm kind of rambling now. Oh, I love it though, because I'm not really, I'm not really answering your question. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And I, I would also say with that, um, that what people do in, in, when somebody passes away, and I've seen this uh, with our friend, our mutual friend, Nicole, who lost her son, is that people say, in my opinion, the dumbest things because they're processing grief and they think the way they process it is going to help you, but that's not true. Mm -hmm. It's like right. telling you their thoughts, which to your point, it's just very demoralizing and, and makes you feel awful. And I know it's happened yeah. to her as well, some horrible things. Um, there were people that brought their uh, three-year-old babies to her funeral, you know, to her three-year-old son's funeral. Like, what, what is wrong with you people, you know? Um, and so it's just people process things differently. And really, in my Absolutely. opinion, space so that you can identify yeah. your own feelings and you just need yeah. somebody to, to potentially hold your hand and let you have that space. Well, right. And, you know, I mean, it, it, this is all making me think about just adopting the kids. Um, it, adoption is not celebrated in the way pregnancy is celebrated. Um, telling our families that we were adopting, it was not exciting. They were not excited. 
they didn't ask us how the process was going. Um, I remember texting my family, it's a girl, we're adopting a girl. And I didn't, no one even texted me back. It's not, it's not celebrated in the same way. And then in the same way, it's not celebrated. It's not, it's also not mourned in the same way. You know, I had to literally rip AJ off of me, sobbing, crying and leave him not once, but twice in an abusive third world orphanage. It was, that is the hardest thing in the world to do. And it, it's, um, you know, people who have babies in the NICU, um, God bless them, but you know, they are really, um, doted on and, oh, this must be so hard. And they are, um, they are taken care of in a way that, that adoptive parents aren't. And we're parents too. It's, um, it's, it's different. I would say to anyone that's adopting, just, just guard your heart, guard your heart in an adoption because, um, people aren't going to get it. They're not going to get it. No, it's so true. In so many areas. I mean, I, I haven't adopted, but I've had plenty of friends who have, and you're right. Uh, people are afraid to give baby showers because they're like, what if the adoption reverses or, you know, there's just mm-hmm. so many things around it. And, you know, a family comes in so many shapes and sizes. Some families have two dads, some have two moms, some have, you know, siblings that are biological and some that aren't you know, all adopted children, there's so many different forms of a family. And to me, it should all be celebrated. And yeah, it should be. You're absolutely right. How you show up to love is, is, is key. Well, I am not going to hold you anymore because I've taken up so much of your time. You are amazing because you're real and you are amazing because you are still fighting the good fight and you're still every day showing up for yourself, which I love that you talked about self-care because everybody on earth needs to be doing that. But you're also in so much gratitude that I feel like everyone should have as well for where you are and then showing up for your family every day. So thank you so much for taking thank time you. today. This has been amazing. And I cannot wait uh, to keep seeing all of your pictures of your beautiful kids and Thank you. So thank you so much. Thank you. Did you love what you heard today and you want more? Sign up for my weekly email in the show notes. It's packed with tips and tricks to lead and love your life. You can also follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram by typing in Emily Hawkins, the number four, the letter U. I'll see you here next week.